Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. See, God is merciful. And so when Pharaoh asked for mercy, God gave it. But humility is when you say, I know who God is, and I'm fully aware of who I am. And all my rest and my hope and my trust is in Him. I follow the orders of the Master because He's way higher than I am. That's what the Bible talks about, thinking about yourself soberly. Really sitting down and not having an inflated view of yourself. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Throughout the book, we have been looking at the lives of the Israelites. They were in captivity in Egypt, working as slaves. We met Moses, a Hebrew that God molded and shaped into a man of great faith. Moses was sent by God to Pharaoh of Egypt to ask for the people to be set free. Pharaoh denied the request and hardened his heart against God. God has been showing Pharaoh and all of Egypt many miraculous signs and wonders. We saw seven signs, better known as plagues, by which Pharaoh still pridefully rejected the Lord. We join Pastor Will as we look at the eighth plague in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1. When we get to chapter 10, it's been one sign since God said the gloves were coming off. Since he had come to Pharaoh and said, I'm not holding back anymore. I am bringing the full brunt of my judgment to bear to try to get your attention. And yet, after all that destruction with the the hail mingled with fire upon his land, Pharaoh still goes back on his word to let the Israelites go into the desert to worship the Lord. And so as we get to chapter 10, we are reaching the end of the signs that God is using to reveal himself to Pharaoh, and we're kind of left with this empty feeling of why. I don't know if you read it, but it's almost like a story you know is sad because you know the ending, and you just you know you kind of almost don't want to watch the rest of it because it just gets worse and worse. We look here and we see Pharaoh, and we get this kind of an empty feeling of, why? Why would you continue fighting against God, Pharaoh? There can only be one answer. Pride, self-will. This is why Proverbs says pride precedes destruction. And so as we see Pharaoh punch this self-destruct button of pride, we all have one. As we see him punch his self-destruct button of pride, you might encourage us to avoid our own self-destruct button by humbling ourselves daily. So chapter 10, verse 1, sign number 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Going unto Pharaoh... For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that you may tell in the ears of your son and of your son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know how that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, and they said unto him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 
God here, he, he comes here to Moses and he gives him new instructions. With the eighth plague, just like the fifth plague and the second plague, he goes before Pharaoh to bring a warning first. And he says, go in unto Pharaoh, and he explains, though, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why? So I might show these signs in his presence. In other words, God says, I have greater purposes that are involved here, and so I have confirmed the decision of Pharaoh and his servants. I haven't just removed them out of the way. I've confirmed their decisions, and as such, I have a work I want to do, even though they don't want me to do the work I want to do in them. Now, I find it fascinating here because this is the first mention that Egypt's other royal officials were just as stubborn about letting Israel go, that they had hardened their hearts too, and that God had confirmed it. It makes sense that Pharaoh wouldn't be alone in his opposition to God, but it's still shocking to see a group of people oppose the Lord's clear superiority. But, you know, it's interesting if we go back to our scripture reading in Proverbs 16, it actually mentions this as a futile thing that mankind does. You know, we find other people to rally around us in our pride and rebellion against God, and we think it'll actually work, like God will back down. There's a verse here where it says, in verse 5 of 16, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It's kind of like if the world gets together and goes, we are the world, God can't hurt us, so that, that nothing will happen. And you know, the Lord's saying, you can do that all you want. You can lock arms, but Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jesus over. It's going to blow the thing up. You can do all you want. It's just not going to, he's unstoppable. You cannot stand against him, no matter how much you might unite yourself. When we get to the book of Revelation, that's what we see, a world united against God. He's bringing judgment, and they still shake their fist at him and refuse to repent of their evil deeds, the Bible says, because they feel united under their man, the Antichrist. But God will not stop him at all. I can't imagine they would find any comfort in their solidarity as their nation is wiped out around them, and yet they persist up to this point in their stubbornness. And so God confirms it, even though he still provides an opportunity to repent with two more signs, two more plagues. But God says, I'm allowed this, though, that I might show these signs before him. God has another reason that he prolongs the destruction. He doesn't just wipe them out now. See, since Pharaoh wouldn't learn, God is going to use these next two signs to show Israel two very important things. Verse 2, and that you may tell in the ears of your son and of your son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. Israel's going to learn two things from the signs, and the first thing they're going to learn is so that they can retell the story pardon me, to future generations. Just as our sure future is the hope that keeps us going in difficult times, God's past faithfulness is a promise during our present crises. And we see this in Israel's songbook. Psalm 77, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 114, Psalm 135, and Psalm 136 all mention God's power and might through the signs shown in their deliverance from Egypt. That's a lot of songs. This was a part of their heritage. They would sing these songs to remind themselves God took care of us in the past. He's going to take care of us now. That's Psalm 77, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 114, Psalm 135, and Psalm 136. That's a lot of songs. Aren't we encouraged when we read of God's deliverance? I read those stories and I'm like, man, that's what God can do for me. I know he's still God. I know he can still work. So what have I reason to be afraid? But there's another reason. 
he says also, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know how that I am the Lord. See, not only would they be able to retell these stories to future generations, but this is how they would know that their God is Jehovah. Jehovah, the becoming one, the one who becomes to his people what his people need him to be. The one who alone is God, like we sang in our last song, holy, holy, holy. When we say he's holy, we're saying he's unique, he's separate, he's distinct, he's set apart than everything else in creation because he's not created. He is God alone, king of kings and lord of lords. See, Israel would be tempted in their future to worship other gods, and so are we, aren't we? These things that we read about remind us that our God, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only God to be worshipped. Do you know that? That the Lord is the only God, the only thing you need to bow the knee to, and that he is everything that you need? Well, we get to verse 3, and Moses now goes before Pharaoh, and he brings a warning to Pharaoh before he even tells him what's going to happen. He tells him to stop being proud. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, verse 3, and said unto him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. You know, before the command is even given, God asks Pharaoh this important question. And it's a great question for me too. How long do I think I can keep this up, fighting God? How long do you think you can keep this up, Pharaoh? Pharaoh's thinking, I can go toe-to-toe, you know, I can do this all day. And the problem is, is Pharaoh's about to go down. He doesn't know the knockout punch is right around the corner. And here's the thing. We admire the fighter. We admire the underdog. We admire the one who sacrifices himself so others might live. But you know, we look with disdain upon someone who dies for no reason at all. We don't admire that. There's nothing admirable about what Pharaoh's doing. There's no reason for him to go through this. It's his own pride that's causing him to do this. And so God says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Humble here, it means to change from a boastful, immodest attitude to a lower mindset. Now, humble doesn't mean you walk around going, I'm miserable, I'm no good at anything, I'm horrible. That's not humble, that's just pride in reverse because it's all focused on you. But humility is when you say, I know who God is and I'm fully aware who I am and all my rest and my hope and my trust is in him. I follow the orders of the master because he's way higher than I am. That's what the Bible talks about thinking about about yourself soberly, really sitting down and not having an inflated view of yourself. See, Pharaoh had confessed sin on a few occasions, but he had never humbled himself. So it was easy to go back on the way he'd been doing things once the pressure of the problem was gone. Hail's gone. I don't have to let you go. But see, this is why confession as a ritual is meaningless unless I've humbled myself first. You can go through the motions every day and say, oh Lord, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, forgive me for this. But if I haven't humbled myself inside, then all of those things are just words. When I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I really need your help today. I was, yesterday I was a lousy husband. I was unkind, I was impatient, I was selfish. And Lord, I'm sorry for that. I don't want to be that way today. Will you fill me with your spirit? Will you help me? I need you to live through me today. That's humility. That's humility. Well, (laughs) he says, let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into your coast. I imagine or else became a cringeworthy phrase for Pharaoh. As he hears it, he goes, no, what now? What's this time? Well, guess what, Pharaoh? You get to have locusts. 
and they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which has escaped, which remained unto you from the hail. Remember, Moses had told us that there were still some plants left from the uh, crops left from the hail. Whatever's left, they're going to eat it, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows for you out of the field. And they will fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they, locusts, were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Now, Egypt is no stranger to locust invasions. In 2013, so not very long ago, about 30 million locusts swarmed through Egypt, and then after that, they went into Israel. Israel had a little bit more of a prepared for it because they saw them coming, and I saw pictures of all the dead locusts on the ground. You could barely see the ground. It was disgusting. As there was video, you can actually look it up online. You can see video of, of just what it's like when the swarm comes in. Now, being a nation, though, like Egypt, that's dependent upon crops for life, a locust swarm is terrifying to the economy then and now. But the miracle will be that this swarm will dwarf all previous or future swarms. This invasion will destroy all the crops the hail didn't. So Moses gives his warning. If you don't repent, this is what's coming. Get ready. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Now, the word there means he turned his back and he kind of stormed out. Now, that was not standard protocol when exiting Pharaoh's presence. <laughs> you didn't leave, you would get dismissed. Moses, though, we can see is upset. And I've been talking about this, how he's been getting more and more upset as judgment after judgment keeps coming upon Egypt. He sees the continued stubbornness of Pharaoh, and he's thinking of how this is going to create famine in the nation. Moses isn't heartless, and neither is God. Even in wrath, he remembers mercy, as we saw with the hail. So Moses is upset when he leaves. Now, while Pharaoh maintains his stubbornness, his officials think otherwise. Look at verse 7. Moses storms out, and Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Don't you know that yet that Egypt is destroyed? Ah, Pharaoh... Your own servants now are coming to you. Your own officials are coming to you and saying, this is stupidity. How long is this guy going to be a snare to us? It means that which captures and controls. Don't you realize? You think you're calling the shots, but he's calling every shot. He's been calling every shot since he walked in here. Don't you realize we're losing this war? The word they're destroyed means to suffer loss or be ruined. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is being ruined? This man has controlled the result every step of the way, no matter how much you fought him. Someone has to give in, sir. And it doesn't appear it's going to be Moses. Just let him go and worship. Now, I find this to be so interesting because didn't God just tell us that he hardened both Pharaoh and his servants? Well, how come his servants are okay to reject that hardening and decide they don't want to do that anymore? But Pharaoh doesn't. See, the question is, why doesn't Pharaoh, when they could change their mind, even though they'd been hardened by God? See, some teachers blame God for Pharaoh's harden, but I don't see that anywhere in the text. Man has no one to blame but himself and his own choices when he is judged, because God gives all genuine opportunities to repent, and even his hardening never overrules our will. These guys chose to change, even though Pharaoh didn't. Well, verse 8. 
And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God. But who are they that will go? (laughs) Pharaoh listens to his officials. But you know what's interesting? Is that what God told Pharaoh to do? What did he tell him? The very first thing out of Moses' mouth was what? How long will it be till you listen to your officials? How long will it be till you what? Humble yourself, right? See, God had told him to humble himself, but that never happens. And so his offer to Moses isn't in alignment with God's command. He says, all right, you can go and worship, but who is the ones that are going to go? Now, Pharaoh isn't stupid, okay? He knows, he knows that Moses plans to take everybody, but he believes Moses and the Israelites are up to no good, and he wants to ensure that they come back. And so he asks a question he already knows the answer to in hopes that Moses will compromise. How similar to the words of Satan in the garden. Hath God really said that in the day you eat of this, you shall surely die, right? Did God really say to bring your kids to? That's pretty radical. That's not exactly safe to take your entire family out into the desert. How many times has the Lord called you to take a step of faith and you get scared because you think you put your family at risk and then the enemy comes to you and says, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't obey the Lord because what about the children? What about the children? Remember Israel when they're out in the desert, the 10 witnesses come back and they give the bad report, 10 witnesses, 10 spies, I call them witnesses because they're bad witnesses. They gave bad testimony of the promised land. And the people said they came to Moses to stone him. Why did you bring us out here for our young ones to die? And you know what God said? He goes, you know, I'm more than capable of caring for your little ones. He goes, so here's how this is going to work. You all, all of you, you're going to wander in circles for 40 years and die in the desert. And your little ones that you're so worried about, they'll take the land someday. God says, I've got your little ones. Trust me. Obey me. I can care for them better than you can anyway. The enemy frequently offers compromises to absolute obedience, but don't listen. Verse 9, Moses says, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds. We will go. I've told you this before, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. This does not jive well with Pharaoh. Pharaoh said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as if I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, you that are men, and serve the Lord, for that you did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, the King James, that's really confusing, super confusing. It's a bad translation. Let me translate it for you in modern English. Oh, really? You want to take everybody? May God be with you if I allow you to leave with your kids. You plot evil against me. And if I allow this, I allow you to go at all, it's not happening that way. So you just take the grown men, that's what you asked for originally, and you get out. That's exactly what Pharaoh's saying here. And he drove them out. Now, that's not true, though. Moses' original meeting with Pharaoh was clear. Let my people go that they may serve me. Not let the men go. The word for people, it means everyone, okay? Pharaoh's officials understood that clearly because the word in verse 7 there for it says, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go. That word men is not the same word here in in verse 10 or verse 11. The word there is actually the same word people. They knew it meant everybody. In this we see that Pharaoh hasn't humbled himself at all. He still thinks he's the one calling the shots and he drives them from his presence. Now, in the east, when, at this time period, when a person of authority felt annoyed by a petition they weren't willing to grant, he would make a signal to his attendants who would rush forward, seize the annoying supplicants by the neck, and drag them out of the chambers with violent haste. 
This is a bit of revenge here. You turned your back on me last time. I'm going to take you out by the scruff of your neck this time. Pharaoh hopes to frighten Moses off with the threat of violence. This is why God explained to Moses that Pharaoh would be stubborn beforehand so he wouldn't get afraid when things got intense. Verse 12. So Moses goes out, and it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all that the hail has left. So that's what Moses does. He stretches forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and they rested or settled down in all the coasts of Egypt. In a locust storm, the hope is always that the wind will keep blowing them out of your borders. They'll keep blowing, so they'll blow them out of your borders. But not so. The wind dies down, and they settle down. The results we see are devastating. For it says, very grievous were they. Before them there was no such locust as they, neither after them shall there be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. Can you imagine walking outside and all you see is just a writhing ground of black? And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Now, if you do a study on Egyptian mythology, you'll find that there are numerous deities, at least half a dozen deities that were connected to crop success. The two most important ones, though, were Nepri and Ernutet. Ernutet also has three or four other names, so if you find something else in your research, I hope you check me out and make sure I'm not just making this stuff up. But if you go and do some research, you'll find that Ernutet actually has like three or four different names. So I'm warning you ahead of time. I'm not lying to you. I'm just, that's the name that's most common. They seem to be the ones in mind here. Nepri was the corn god, known as the lord of the risen grain. His mother was Inertet, known as the lady of the barns. Interestingly, she was depicted by a cobra who could kill with a single gaze. And the idea was she would be there in the fields, and if a pest would come in, she'd look at it and it would die. And, and that way she would protect the fields from pests so that Nepri could grow the crops successfully. Well, apparently her gaze is not too deadly anymore because these locusts come up and neither of them can defeat it. God has defeated them. So verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. The word there means not just in a hurry, but in a hurried, energetic fashion. He's realizing we will have no food. Our people are going to starve. And so he calls them in haste and he says to them, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray you, my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Now, You kind of want to shake him at this point, but let's just take it from the start. He says to them, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against who? You know that whole thing where I had him grab you by the neck and yank you out? Yeah, I'm sorry. That was not good. I shouldn't have done that. Here's the thing. We can say we were justified. We can say we had the right, but we know when we've done wrong. He knew what he'd done to them was wrong, even when we convince ourselves otherwise. You know, Pharaoh minces no words. He says, I refuse to listen to God, and I treated you harshly. Please forgive me. And yet, we see from verse 17, he's not repentant at all. Now, therefore, give, I pray you, my sin. What does it say? Only this one time. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this what? Only this death. Only this, you know. The audacity of such a request is baffling. Really, Pharaoh? 
You've been here before and you said just this time, last time. Have you forgotten how many times you've gone back on your word already? Have you forgotten how many times you've already asked for God to show mercy just this once with the implication you won't go against him again? And yet here he is in the audacity of it, asking God to do it again. We focus so much on God letting Pharaoh know how powerful he is. But that's not what God said Pharaoh would learn by the end of all this. He didn't say that Pharaoh would learn how powerful the Lord is. He said that he would know who the Lord was. He would learn all about his character, not just his power. See, Pharaoh had said those famous words, famous last words, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? And the Lord said to him, well, I'm going to give you a front row seat, buddy. You're going to get to know exactly who I am and what I am like. And here's the truth of it. Pharaoh wouldn't just learn that God was powerful, but he would learn that God is merciful. See, if he hadn't learned that, why would he bother asking again when he hadn't done his part at all? See, otherwise he'd never make such an audacious request. We see this is true because God answers again, even though he's not truly penitent. See, God is merciful. And so when Pharaoh asked for mercy, God gave it. Look at verses 18 and 19. So Moses, he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them or drove them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the borders of Egypt. You know, just as God is almighty in judgment, he is almighty in mercy, amen? Not a single one left. And yet, Pharaoh, would you receive it for yourself personally? See, Pharaoh keeps calling him the Lord your God. Why will, you, why will you not make him the Lord your God, Pharaoh? Sadly, he doesn't. Verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That confirmed his, hardened, his already hardened decision so that he would not let the children of Israel go. God confirmed his unrepentant heart. God is almighty in power, but he is also almighty in mercy. God is slow to wrath. He is slow to get angry. He doesn't sit up in heaven waiting for us to stumble and fall so he can destroy us. He wants all mankind to come to repentance and to the knowledge of him because he loves everyone. He loves you. Don't harden your heart against God. You can come to him with your sins and burdens and fears and doubts, and he will never turn you away. Should you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.